welcome to season two of Shades of Brown, the podcast that discusses the ever-evolving and sometimes contradicting thoughts of a Black millennial. I'm your host, Allie B, and I'm so excited for a new season. I am grateful for my hiatus because nobody told you, girl, that podcasting is a whole job out here in these streets, okay? But I'm so glad to be back at it because there is so much going on and I have so much to say about all of the things. Okay, today's episode, we have my friend Jared, who is an ally that I met while living in Utah. We both served at the same church, the Point Church. He uh, plays the guitar there and uh, he's also a part of a local black owned party band there called Lane Changers. They're dope. Check them out. Jared is a proven ally and has um, been doing the work for quite a while now. He's even gone out of his way to plan events to raise awareness for sexual assault victims on the University of Utah campus. He ain't new to this. He true to this. So I'm really excited for the conversation we're going to have today about allyship. But before we get into the conversation, I want to introduce y'all to this new segment I got for y'all. It's called Rockin' with Bob. Who is Bob? Bob stands for Black Owned Businesses. Yes, I'm highlighting Black Owned Businesses all season long because we should all be buying black. So today's company I'm highlighting is Coral Oral. They are a company that offers a variety of dental products. I've been using their toothbrushes for several years now. I love them. I buy a couple of um, four count packs. So I'm set for like the year, you know, I just get it done. They're super cheap and they they work just as great as any other toothbrush I've ever used. And I love them. So check them out on their social media pages and patronize, hello. So that you too can be rocking with Bob. Ow. All right, y'all. Let's get into the next segment. You already know what it is. Let's unpack it. Welcome to Shades of Brown. Jerry, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I so appreciate this. I have been waiting to have this conversation for months and months and months. It was something that you and I talked about um, during season one. Um, and it just so happens that we had to push it uh, to this uh, season. And it's I don't think it's any coincidence that we're having this conversation now. Right. That this is the time that we could have it and all of what's going on. I think it's perfect timing. Um, the timing is for sure divine, in my opinion. You know, um, so let's get into it. Let's unpack it. So, Jared, um, as the people, as the listeners can see, you're a white man. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Very <laughs> much so. Let's talk. Let's talk about it. Okay. Let's talk about your whiteness, um, your gender, and how that um, plays into who you are today in regards to um, this social justice movement. Um, but before we yeah. dig into um, all the work you do in regards to um, the liberation movement and social justice work. Let's go, let's go back for a second. Tell us about your upbringing, um, where you're from, where you were raised, and how your um, early childhood impacted the way you see people of color, impacted the way you see Black people, and how you interacted with them based on those initial perceptions you had. Yeah, so um, I was born in Spokane, Washington, uh, Eastern Washington, and when I was eight years old, we moved to Germany and I went to school on an Air Force base. And I think even though, you know, kind of born and raised in Washington, most of my formative years and kind of 
core memories uh, took place in Germany. And when I was there, I mean, most of my friends were black people. I went to a predominantly black school being on an Air Force base. Um, right. Kind of shocking to me, too. Oh, right. um, that's that's shocking. I, 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 who knew? I never knew. <laughs> <laughs> but and it, it was never really like, um, you know, I had no idea what I mean, any of the things that I that I know and care about now. It's just like, man, I, I love my people. And I think it was more yeah. like, you know, like they happen to be black and it wasn't even a difference for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember, um, you know, my parents always raised me, you know, respect everybody, treat people how you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And um, it was never like specifically towards anybody. It was like, I would say I was more colorblind, you know, uh, I treat everybody the same, I'm colorblind. Uh, and, yeah, uh, we're gonna talk and, about it. <laughs> oh, I would love that. Um, <laughs> But, um, you know, they're always my friends. And then when I was 13, we came to Utah and there was one black dude in my ninth grade class and he was adopted by a white family. And when I got to high school, um, we had like two or three more black people. And I think that kind of really shaped a lot of the things that, um, a lot of the, the beliefs that I held um, going through high school and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, it was always kind of interesting. You hear about Black Lives Matter and this and that. I'm like, man, like, I, I've never seen cops do that. I've never even, you know, had an interaction with one. I, you know, this is, that's, you know, it's fake. It's just, you know, kind of the liberal propaganda. You know, it's like, there's a lot of Fox News around where, you know, when I was going to school and stuff like that. And mm. uh, that was very, very formative into um, kind of the ignorance that I held um, so, in my years. So, so what I hear you saying is that while you were in Germany living your best Air Force kid life, you and your friends are living a similar lifestyle. So what you saw was your black friends living like you. Um, so there was... Yeah. So there was really no inequality that you saw personally. So when you see these movements like Black Lives Matter, it's like, what are you talking about? Like, we're already equal. Exactly. Gotcha. I, I would definitely like, um, you know, I was like, oh man, like slavery ended so long ago. Like, why are people still, you know? Mm. And so I think looking back and really dissecting, you know, kind of looking at the kind of parts of myself that I'm not so fond of now mm. um, from back in the day, it's like, I think I loved my people and they were black, but I don't know how much I really loved black people, you know? Mm. Mm. Let's, talk, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk. Oh, I'm, I'm happy you said that. Um, because my experience is that often white people think they get a pass because they have black friends or because maybe someone in their family is black, right? Like maybe a brother-in-law or a sister-in-law or someone there is someone black. So now you have yeah. black family members and like, I'm, I'm good. I love black because I got two black friends. And last weekend I went to a cookout and there was a black dude there and we hung out or, you know, it's like my small circle. There are black people within that small circle. So I'm good. But that doesn't mean that you are for black people in general. Exactly. Like, and 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 I would I would hope that people get that it's like it's not enough <laughs> just because you married a black person or because you have some black friends or because you have black coworkers who you love you can still be racist. <laughs> like, 
That's a fact. That is straight up. And it was like, um, you know, I, I always thought it was enough. Like, man, I don't, I don't say the N word. Like I'm not going around like, you know, putting black people down because they're black, but it really, um, like you said, it's kind of like a pass. It gave me this complacency. Like, I don't have to look into myself. Like I'm already there. I'm not racist. Cool. I win. And like, all right, next kind of thing. And it's like, that's not the case at all. Wow. Yeah. And I, and again, it's my experience that that's the most common form of racism, right? Because I, I personally think there's a spectrum, right? You have uh, your overt racist, you know, the KKK and burning crosses and police brutality, yeah. right? It's very in your face, right? And then you have those kind of in the middle where you're comfortable and quiet and I don't, the ones who say, I don't agree with, you know, black people being put down because of their color and I'm good. Like, mm-hmm. but when you look deep within, it's like, yeah, but your core beliefs though are still a little bit tame. Like let's, let's pull, let's peel back those layers. Cause it's not, it's not so black and white. There's so much nuance when, when it comes to racism. And this is why conversations are so challenging because it, because it's not black or white. It's not slavery versus freedom. It's not, um, police brutality versus police equality or whatever. It's it's just not that simple. It's racism is embedded in all of what America is. It's in the DNA. It's in the fabric. And we have to like yeah. look at all of those things, you know. So no, it's not okay to just say I'm not racist. It's like, well, what are you doing to become anti-racist? Like the like what are you doing to dismantle racism then, right? Like um, I mean, everybody right now, it's really trendy to be quoting Martin Luther King Jr. And it's like, but I don't think they read the letter from Birmingham jail where he said the biggest stumbling block of the black man is the white moderate. You know, it's not, it's not the white counselors. It's not the, it's not the people, like you said, out burning crosses. It's the people where um, it's, it, it, you, you wouldn't even know it because I didn't think I was racist. And I didn't want to, like, if people talked about like, oh, like the fact that you're, you know, all lives matter type thing. Every, we get defensive, you know, as, as white people, because like, well, that's not me. It's like, however, I belong to that system where those people that control the system are counting on me to not think that I'm racist and to not dissect the kind of ideas that I have. Yes, 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 yes. All the yes is Jared. And and this is what's frustrating for black people um, because so many of us, you know, we work, go to church with, befriend, love so many white people who are in that space of I'm not racist, so I'm good. And it's like, but that's not enough because your silence is still your silence is enabling this system of racism. Your silence is upholding it. They're, like you said, they're counting on you to be silent because like you said, I'm not racist, so I'm good. Check mark, I've got my black friends. I, um, I, I, I adopt black kids. I um, go to a black church even, right? Like we, we have the, I feel like black, I feel like so many white folks have these like check marks. Like, yep, I've done that, so I'm good, right? I've done my due diligence for the Negroes, so I'm good. And it's like, yeah, but what are you doing to dismantle systemic racism so that we are actually treated equally within this country, you know? So let me ask you this. What was a turning point for you? Um, Because I don't hear hear you saying you were ever a person that was just out here like, like overtly racist. Like I hate black people. I hear you saying like, I was just like, 
like what I, what I like to call willfully ignorant, right? Um, so when was the turning point and when did the light come on for you to say, you know what, I actually do have white privilege and black people are treated differently in this country. When did you notice that? So I have a, I have two very specific memories and okay. I've been, I've been very privileged in the, the patient mentorship that I've received from, from black people in my life, yourself included. I've learned so much from you. And, and continuing to, you know, to learn and grow and, and try and be a more effective ally through all this. But I remember it was, uh, it was 2014 and it was the Baltimore riots, the Black Lives Matter riots. And I was sitting um, in my office, I was working as a student ambassador up at the University of Utah. And my, um, my boss at the time was a, a lady named Aretha Miner. And she is just, um, she's incredible. Um, and I remember because she was so, um, you knew that she just, she just exuded this like calm energy and it was, she would always talk very slow and quietly. <laughs> and, and so I, when I was hearing about these riots, I was like, man, like, and, and all these people have been, I'm feeling like my beliefs kind of be like, like pick that kind of thing. And there's like this cognitive dissonance and I didn't like it, but I didn't know where it was coming from. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, I need to go to Aretha and see what she thinks so that hopefully these beliefs that I feel like are under attack can be justified and I can like kind of step back, you know? And it was kind of opposite of that. (laughs) I was like, like, Aretha, like, what do you think of these? Like, you know, I, I know that I just don't think that it's cool that, that people are writing and there's property damage and all this and that. And she was like, well, you know, I think that it's possible simultaneously to, um, to not agree with the methods, but also understand where they're coming from and why they are happening. And she told me the quote from Dr. King, you know, the uh, riots and, and violence are the language of the unheard. And she sat me down in her office. We closed the door and we talked about this. Mm. And, I just, I remember that so, so vividly, where it was like, oh man. And it wasn't like that was light switch and all of a sudden I'm an ally, but that was kind of the start of kind of peeling back the onion and like, oh man, I've got some work to do. Because like I said, it's like, I I have all these black friends at that point. um, I was going to the, I was going to New Pilgrim Baptist Church, which is now the point, you know, at, at that point in time. And like, oh man, like these are people that I love, that I fellowship with, worship with. And oh, like I'm, I'm not as good of a person in this regard as I thought I was. Mm, let uh, me pause you. Let me pause you for a second. Uh, yeah. Firstly, listeners, New Pilgrim Baptist Church then, which is the Point Church now, is where I met Jared. Um, he is one of the guitar players there at um, a multicultural church, but the pastor is black. Um, when it was, when, I think it, when it was New Pilgrim, it was a predominantly black church, um, but uh, mm-hmm. it today is a very multi- multicultural church in Utah. Um, so that's a reference in regards to the people that Jared was around. Um, but I have a question for you. When that light, when that light bulb went off in your head, did you ever feel oh, like this weight of guilt or shame? Like, oh my God, there's so much work to do. And did, and did that work ahead of you intimidate you? Yes and yes. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> um, at that point, it's like, I, you know, I, I'm very, I'm in, 
I'm an empath through and through. I really love, love connecting with people and um, almost to a fault, really take on a lot of the um, emotional energy, good and bad of people around me, you know? That's why I'm getting along so well. Right, right. And, we, have that, we have that in common for sure. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. Um, and I'm also, um, I'm also a very intellectual person. I love to learn. Um, and I was so confident in the history that I've been taught and in mm. kind of the way that I viewed the world, I was like, my worldview is like totally right. Like I'm a good dude. Like it, and, and so having that be like, mm, maybe not so much, you know, <laughs> it was, oh my God, it was, yeah, it was embarrassing. I was, mm. um, I, I don't really like myself. I don't really like that I held these beliefs for so long, even though it wasn't malicious, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So definitely that, that guilt and shame um, was very present. Yeah. And that really started to come out. I remember um, I ran for student body president up at the, up at the U. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was going through that, you know, a big part is like we had three white people on my party. And so we had a lot of people that were really engaged with us from the Black Student Union, the Multicultural Student Center, stuff like that. And I felt like when I just kind of kept quiet about these things and was just, you know, cool with Black people, then I received less flack than when I was trying to unlearn and relearn, kind of reprogram everything. It's like, I'm trying to grow here. Yeah. I'm putting in, I'm trying to put in the work. And, but a big part of it is like, you know, obviously in, you know, any political election, marginalized groups are going to have um, the most to gain or lose based on what uh, our leaders are going to be doing. And so yeah. they were looking at me and asking really difficult questions. And I had thought about this. I had talked to people. I had, I had done my research and I was like, okay, here we go. Uh, I've seen your problems. I recognize them. Here are my ideas. You're welcome. And... <laughs> <laughs> and um and then I got a lot of flack for that and I was like yeah like they're good ideas and they were good ideas and because I was like I've, I've vetted these these are things that, that people have told me but it's like and I learned and it's and they told me like Jared in in trying to help you know these marginalized groups um you know speaking in in this topic with black people, it's like, we don't want a white savior. We don't want you to just call the shots and be the one that's out there leading the charge. We want you to be in the trenches next to us. We want you to amplify because people always talk about, I'm a voice for the voiceless. Like y'all have a voice. People just don't listen to it. Preach Jared, preach to the I'm getting, I'm getting excited and I can't, I can't respond how I want to because we're on Zoom and like the, the, the sound would get distorted, but I'm like, you can see me, I'm bubbling over because the white savior conflict is one of the most annoying things when it comes to allyship and when it comes to people thinking they're allies and it's like, no, 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 you are doing what um, they've done just in just in the opposite way. We don't need handouts. We don't need charity. We don't need a savior. We need our voices to be acknowledged and to and to be appreciated. We need our experiences to be um, 
acknowledged and appreciated. We need to be heard. We need to be seen. We need to be valued. Do not uh, try to point us in the direction of what you think equality is and what you think justice is. No, 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 no. We can tell you what we need. How about you come alongside us and fight this thing with us? Right. Like we absolutely need the help of allies. We will not win this fight without allyship. However, we do not need this figurehead of a white savior. And it really pisses me off. We see it in Hollywood. Right. The only time they show our stories in film is when there is a white savior. Right. Because I feel like white and white side, all that. I, I I can't stand it. I do not watch those types of movies, films, documentaries. Don't invite me. I don't want to see it because it, it seems like white Americans can't stomach seeing our experiences um, without at least having that comforting. Oh, well, that, that white dude helped them, though. Right. Like we see it over and over. It's like, nah, fam, nah, let us speak up. We have a voice. I so appreciate you saying that because that is a difference. And it's like we're not saying that what you guys have to offer isn't appreciated. It's just like, yo, listen to us, like fall back and listen. So but, I love that. I, I, I love all that. OK, go ahead. Um, no, sorry. But and th- that's exactly kind of what um, what I had to get into my head. And when I, I remember having that conversation, it was with a guy who was very, very, very critical of our party and of you know our platform and stuff like that. I did not like this dude. <laughs> and I was like, you're turning so many people against us. Like I'm, like, I'm trying to help you. Like, help me help you. And he's like, no, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it's got to be the other way around. And so, um, yeah. And that was kind of a big part of the dismantling of it. And then learning about like my privilege and what that meant. Um, we did, I was, uh, it was called swoop camp at the U and it's like an extended orientation camp. And I was one of the, um, one of the swoop camp captains. So I led a group of incoming freshmen and we had, you know, different breakout sessions, team building type stuff. And one of the things that we did, um, was like the privilege walk and Mm. yeah and so i i was participating in that and it's like you know step forward if um you know both of your parents are together take a step back if you had a holiday or christmas where you didn't celebrate or didn't see your family you know and so those kinds of things and by the end i'm like man i'm way far out in front but i got so defensive and offended Mm. and hurt because I was like, man, like my life was hard. Like there are things I went through. I was like, I worked for where I am today. I don't appreciate y'all telling me that because I'm white, like, I didn't earn this type thing or somebody else earned it more than me. I was like, I worked for my grades. I worked for my scholarships. I worked for all these different things. And like, I was like in tears. And here I am supposed to be one of the people helping facilitate this. And I'm the one reacting like this. Wow. And, right. And making it about me. Weird how that works, right? And <laughs> so this is, this is a very, a lot of parallels. This is a very good cross section of how my people operate and the cognitive dissonance that we feel when we're told that, that we have this privilege. And it, there was another uh, woman of color, her name is Catherine Kokumont, um, and she is just a phenomenal lady. And I remember she, same kind of thing, sat down with me, was unnecessarily patient with me and probably unwarranted patience with me and was talking about, I was like, you know, this, your privilege doesn't mean that 
your life hasn't been hard or you haven't overcome these stumbling blocks and difficulties, but it just means none of those things happened because you were white. Fair and I was just like, right. And it was just like, all of a sudden, you know, it's a, a, what is it? Like the Plato's cave where the people, they spent their whole life looking at shadows and then they step out into the sun. They realize that there's a whole world. It was like, like, like scales fell from my eyes type thing. Wow. And, and those are, I think the, the three kind of, you know, really core moments in, in my journey. And then it was like, from there, I was like, all right, now I see what I got to do. And mm. I see that, that I no longer, I mean, I don't need to have my hand held anymore because like I'm capable of, even though I might not like the things that I discover about myself, like now I know it's my responsibility to do the unpacking that I'm so grateful to have these phenomenal mentors have, you know, kind of helped me with. Yeah. And they, they're like, you know, we, we recognize that you had a good heart and it wasn't out of maliciousness or malice or whatever. Like we just recognize that you were ignorant. And that was another thing too, being an intellectual, people call me ignorant. I'm like, no, nah, no, you're ignorant. Man. You know, and so. <laughs> But um, I, I love that. Yeah, I, I love that so much. Those seem like extremely pivotal moments in your um, journey toward enlightenment and fighting on behalf of or for marginalized groups of people. Because let it be known, y'all, Jerry is not just like woke in the sense that he is fighting for black folks. Like he speaks on behalf of women. He speaks on behalf of Native Americans. Like Jerry's out here doing the work, y'all. Well, it was realizing like intersectionality with my allyship is not like an addition that I can tack on. It is the core pillar. If, if you're not intersectional with who you're advocating for, then you're not an advocate. You're just picking and choosing people again that I like, or maybe relate more with. And like, that's, that's not how it works. <laughs> Let, let's talk about that though, because I think in be, because I, you and I have both talked about this offline about how um, being an ally is trendy now, you know, um, being a social being a social media um, activist is trendy now. Um, and one of the reasons that I rock with you, Jared, is because you were doing this long before um, white folks woke up long before George Floyd. Right. Like and, and even in that, it it. I, I am at the same time grateful that white folks are waking up, but also annoyed that it took this long. Like how much blood has to be shed for you to get it? Because we need your help. We need allyship. We, we have to have it in order to fight this thing effectively. Um, so yes, I'm grateful for it, but it's just, it, it, it really pisses me off that it took an officer kneeling on a black man's neck for eight minutes, for almost nine minutes, for it, be, for it to be like, oh, snap, huh, something is wrong. Right. So I rock with you because th this cherry pick activism doesn't work for me. It's going to either be all of it or none of it, because we all need to be liberated. Every marginalized group needs to be liberated. And that includes trans people. That includes all of LGBTQ community. That includes um, women. That includes Native Americans. You know what I'm saying? Like this includes all people who have been systematically oppressed. Um, so yeah, I, I love that. I lo and, and I just really appreciate that you're sharing that this thing is not easy. Allyship is not easy. It's not, it's sacrificial. It's sacri it, you have to sacrifice your belief system. Sometimes, 
some of your friendships and speak to that. Like, like what, what has this journey besides what you've already shared with us? Let's speak to maybe your social interactions. Um, what sacrifices have you made in regards to how you interact with your family or your white friends or um, what have you, what has been the most challenging part of this journey for you? It, man, where to begin on that? Uh, the amount of people that I've come out of my life or, you know, the other way around where they like, oh man, like you're different or you change this and that is like, yeah, I'm like you probably should too. <laughs> you know, it's, um, but it's, it was really, I was in a fraternity at the U and, um, you're a frat. That's, that's so funny. It's like, like, it's just funny to me, Jared, because it's like, when I think of like a typical American white boy, it's like, you're that guy, like the frat white guy that plays the Listen, guitar. Man, oh man. And like, like even, even within the fraternity, they would give me crap because like, oh man, you're the guy that would go out like on the quad shirtless with your guitar trying to get girls. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm a straight white Christian dude. Like I am a ma- in the majority in every single part of my identity. Like yeah. it's ridiculous. <laughs> and, <laughs> but um, there have been so many, um, so many ways that I've had to make make sacrifices in that regard. You know, there are some things like um, in terms of you know members of of my family with like you know. It's like, there's some things that, man, like, I can't talk. We cannot talk about this when we go to my grandparents' house. Or, you know, even though, you know, like, you met my parents, they're phenomenal people, you know, but there are some things where it's like, hey, you know, we're, we're not really on the same page here. And that's a really difficult line to toe with, with my family, you know? It's like, I love them unconditionally. Right. And, and it's, it's difficult because, um, you know, the fact that I was as defensive as I was and the cognitive dissonance that I felt when I got called out for that kind of stuff at 19, 20, 21, while I was going through all this, it's like they're in their fifties and sixties. You know, my grandparents were in the seventies and eighties. And so it is just more and more layers of, of complacency. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a racist because, you know, I never went out and burned any crosses. I never did, you know, committed any violent acts against, against people of color kind of thing. And so, um, and it's just kind of like a little gentle things here and there. And actually, you know, I don't know if they're gonna watch this, sorry, mom and dad, but um, it's, you know, there's a lot of the progress that's been made that um, has been, you know, kind of difficult for me and, and for them as well. But that's what's gotta happen with, with everybody. It's hard. I remember yeah. so literally the day after Trump got elected, was when I realized that, you know, being in a fraternity, there was a lot of parts of the culture that I really, really had problems with in terms of uh, the toxic masculinity, the, you know, the, the sexual assault culture, the rape culture, um, looking at um, just, I mean, just the ov- some of the overt racism. And it came to the point for me where it was like, you know what, as somebody who's trying to make as positive as a difference as I can, in you know being a, a good apple in a bad tree like you know it's like like they keep saying with with the cops you know it's like there comes a point where i just i gotta remove myself and the day after trump got elected we were sitting out I remember so vividly 
uh, we were sitting on the couch and watching CNN and Van Jones was on there. He was talking about how the results of the election was a white lash. And it was, you know, everybody that they didn't so much like Trump as much as they just hated Obama and they just wanted, and that was what Trump did very effectively, to be honest, was play to the fact that I am the antithesis of what Obama is and stands for. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm going to go for the, I'm advocating for the big businesses. I'm doing all those kind of things. I'm going to, you know, tear down Obamacare. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And when he was talking about that, dude, couple fit, couple seats next to me on the couch was like, man, and said it. Well, so what Jared said, the guy said is F you nigger. I'm just going to say it. Like, yeah. that's what that's what he mouthed was the guy said, F you nigger. Yeah. At the top of his lungs with his chest. I had never experienced it so overtly, especially being mm-hmm. with white people. You know, it's like a lot of times that's, you know, just something that people don't really talk about. And yeah. it was such a shock. I just kind of sat there and then it kind of clicked for me when the dude next to me was like, whoa, hard R, dude, huh? And, mm. and like, I remember, and I'm not trying to be like, man, like I, you know, I'm trying to, you know, toot my own horn, but it's like, I, I was so just instantly just started seeing red mm. and I and was like in his face. I was like, man, I was like, are you serious? Like, <laughs> and I just started going up and he like, kind of like looked away, tried to like get on his phone. I was like, no, you look at me when I'm talking to you. And I said, if this is, you know, if that's just something like off the top, that's not okay to say. If that's something you believe in your heart, you really got to do some serious self-evaluation. He's just like, like, whatever, man. I'm like, no. I'm like, you want to step outside? And then everyone else kind of like, I was like, if you want to do that, I'll help you. Let me, let me assist you in that. And then all of a sudden, you know, and this is where I realized I don't belong here. When, uh. people, when they saw me threatening violence against him, they were like, whoa, man, you need to calm down. I was like, man. And... You know, wow. just like a month or two after that, I, I, I was not affiliated anymore. And mm. I was like, I, this is not where I belong. I cannot be in this, in this space. And so I walked out and I, you know, just slammed the door and I have not said a word to that man since. Wow, that's intense um, on several levels. One, because though I'm not a part of any sorority, I understand um, how important those relationships are when it comes to brotherhood and sisterhood within fraternities and sororities. So to mm-hmm. sacrifice that is major, like that is major. Um, another note though, it's interesting. It's interesting that folks always, I don't, let me not say always. I try, I try to steer clear of words like always and never. Um, but mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting that often people will respond to someone's reaction but not to what caused that reaction. Like how you get mad at Jared, but you're not getting mad at the dude who just called Van Jones a nigger from his seat. Like, it's like we see nothing wrong with the action that caused the reaction. It's so frustrating, but we see this played out time and time and time again, which is why um, you have folks talking about the riots, but not what caused the riots or the property damage, but not what could fuel someone to do these things. And um, 
that, that, that's intense. That's intense. But I just hope that people can hear that allyship is sacrificial. It's, it's sacrificial, period. And if sacrifice does not come along with your stance and fight against racism, I think you should ask yourself, are you truly an ally? Are you truly for us? Or do you just not want to be on the wrong side of history? I think we have to check our motivations and check our heart, our heart posture when it comes to where we stand. Um, because generations from now, this time period will be written in history. And yeah, like you just want to see like, what was I doing? What did I say? Um, could I have done more? Like, I think we have to, to really analyze what it means to be a true ally for marginalized groups. And I just love that you're sharing like, yo, this thing is not easy. It's not easy. And oftentimes it's, it's not fun. Like there's nothing fun about this, right? Like this isn't fun work. This is not fun work. I was humiliated. The amount that is like, hey, here's all my dirty laundry for, you know, at, when I was running for president to an audience of 30,000 people. Like they saw me, videos of me getting called out by people at debates and people asking me these tough questions as like, bruh, like this. And, you know, with, I've never even looking back to that experience, I had never even drawn that parallel that you just made in terms of people getting mad at the reaction, but not getting mad at what caused the reaction. And um, that's so, that is, man, that's a really wise uh, analysis of that. And um, yeah, it was, I mean, n not fun at all. And it, it wasn't like, um, I mean, one of the more difficult experiences of my life because it really tore down my whole worldview and mm. then having to rebuild it, you know? And then all of a sudden when I do rebuild it, then it's like, this isn't an easy place for me to be in either. Cause now I'm, I'm starting to empathize more with, you know, not just what I see on the news and stuff like that, but the experiences that y'all go through every day. And that is just, it's, it's heartbreaking. And it's like, it's like no, like no level of this has been, has been enjoyable, you know, besides, I mean, the fellowship that I get to experience with y'all now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to quickly say this because, because you and I are both Christian Christians and we often say things like, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours, you know? And it's like, that sounds cute. Right. But that prayer is serious because when we really begin to, it's scary. It's scary. When we, when our heart begins to break for what breaks Jesus's heart, it's like, God dang, well, Lord, just send me to a mental institution because I'm depressed. <laughs> like, we, like, it's intense. The level of injustice in this world is intense. And to be a believer, and we're, we're not going to even get on the whole Christianity piece and how that plays a part in racism. We don't have time for that. Um, and all this, and all this. Blue <laughs> like, okay, I will, I'll ask you this really quick, though, Jared. Growing up, did you think that Jesus had blue eyes and blonde hair? Oh yeah. I, you know, I remember, um, I remember in fifth grade, I was in Miss Thompson's class and down Ms. the hall, from class, Ms. Thompson and down the hall from that classroom. Um, one of my buddies, James Green, I, I remember him so, so vividly. I didn't reach out. I haven't talked to him in a while, but we, they made like little collages, um, of like, these are the things that I love. And it was like WWE football, you know, uh, Soldier Boy, and then he had a picture of Jesus, and he was black, 
And I was like, what? I was like, bro, like, like black Jesus? I'm like, no, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, he's white, man. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what's next? Black Santa Claus? Like, and it was. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Oh, my goodness. But I remember, like, stopping in the hallway and, like, <laughs> and oh that's hilarious but yeah it's like we are it's it's been whitewashed it's like why would we think that now people that live in where jesus spent his whole life now all of a sudden they're people of color and they're brown and they're black but back then they just they were white it's like they, just, they weren't in yet right? <laughs> they, they weren't in yet <laughs> and like, jesus had spf 10 million or something like that and he just wore all his sunblock every single day and <laughs> That is hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> Soldier Boy and Black Jesus. That is so funny to me. Okay, so like, let's talk about on the on the lighter note. What has been one of the most rewarding experiences for you um, since becoming an ally? Oh man, um, I've I don't even know where to begin. Um, I look back over my life as I look back over my life. Um, yes, God. <laughs> Um, like I kind of, I look at all the things that I've loved from, you know, entertainment wise with music and stuff, stuff like that. Like growing up, Hercules was always my favorite Disney movie. I loved the music. I didn't know why. And then start coming to the point. I was like, oh, that's gospel music. And like, oh, that's, oh. And then my other favorite movie, which is never really in people's on their radar is a goofy movie. And again, the soundtrack the main guy say Tevin Campbell and he straight up is emulating a mix of Michael Jackson and Prince in terms of like this big pop star. And it's just like all these things. I loved, you know, I loved funk and I loved, you know, Motown growing up. My dad always had earth, wind and fire and Aretha playing through the house and stuff like that. And it was just kind of ingrained in my head. So now that I get to, um, that I, that I get to play at the point, you know, I feel, I, was, <laughs> I feel like I was kind of, um, you know, when we start becoming a multicultural community, it's like, all right, we're going to need like a white dude on stage and we're going to do like, some CCM type stuff. So we need an acoustic guitar, you know? And, but now um, just, I mean, in Utah, especially, I feel like, and this is another heartbreaking thing, just in terms of the cultural here, not just yeah. in the United States, but it's a special cultural bubble in Utah and seeing how differently my black friends have acted at church versus everywhere else. And mm. like, you have to present a more, like a, a, a watered down version of, of your culture, of your e expressions, your experiences, to the way you dress, to the way you wear your hair. And coming to the point, it's like, oh my, like this is, like it's just so eye-opening getting to see black people living unabashedly Mm. It's not like you're ashamed of it or anything, but in a way that you don't have to worry about being socially palatable to the majority in Utah. And you don't have to worry about if I, you know, people are, you know, loud and falling out and laughing and stuff like that. You know, it's like, that's, you know, the kind of thing like, oh man, it's just, you know, loud black people on the cross the street and go over here and call the police type thing. It's like, you're literally, this is self-preservation, the way that y'all have to act around my people especially seeing in the last couple of weeks, like the fact that I get to experience y'all the way that you are meant to live and the way that you're meant to experience life, like that I just, is one of the greatest privileges, I think, of, 
of really being, you know, since I've, I've become an ally. And, you know, I, I play in, a, in the church band, I play in the choir. Um, one of uh, CJ Drisdom, a guy who I met here as well, plays the bass. He owns an entertainment group and several bands, and I play in a band with him. And it's just, it is just the most wonderful thing. Like, I just, I really cannot get enough of it. And it's like, man, like, this is really like, and we've talked about kind of, you know, when, what's it going to be like when we're really, when y'all are really free and, and what's that going to look like? And it's like, that, this is how it's going to look like the way that you are around each other and in church and seeing, you know, I I just love the, the stuff on, on social media with like people experiencing like black joy. I love that that is is a trend on social media because that's just like, it really just, I, I can't even, ex- I mean, I can't explain it. I really can't, but it just like, it's, my heart is so full when I experience y'all like that, you know? Yeah. And this, you, you saying this makes me emotional, Jared, because I have never heard a white person describe us being in a space and I've never heard a white person describe what it looks like on the outside, what it looks like for black people to be in a safe space. And for centuries, the church, particularly the black church has been our safe space. You know, it's like Monday through Saturday, we have to assimilate, we have to conform, we have to be careful to watch our backs at work, on the street, at home, like nowhere safe. But church has been a safe space for us for centuries, right? It's where we can let our hair down. It's where we express ourselves fully. We run and sing and yell and clap and do jump freaking cartwheels if you wanted to, you know, like it's it's where we become again. And to hear you describe that, it gives me all the feels <laughs> because it's, it is, it's, it's one of the reasons why when I left Utah, I couldn't wait to get back to like a black church. Like I'm talking like blackity black, black, because yeah. it's like for the last five and a half years, I've had to like take off layers of myself to make sure I was not uncomfortable 1000% of the time. Um, so when I moved to Nashville, it's like, where can I find black people? Please let me find them immediately. Because yeah. like, you're, like you're saying, it's where we are ourselves really and to hear you describe that man that is just so incredible because um true freedom is us being able to be us without question without fault um and it being acknowledged and appreciated right like uh true freedom is is everyone being able to embrace gospel and ccm right is true freedom is everyone being able to embrace my hair and yours right like not me having to straighten mine to you know like like it's all the things it's all of those things so yeah I've never heard you describe that so that's really 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 dope and y'all when Jerry's playing the guitar let me tell you he be all the way in he be, he be all the way in and this man he it's so funny because like I so I used to sing on the praise team um with with Jerry and like <laughs> and he no no he'd be like he he goes to the like to the MD like hey well, I think we should sing this song by Troy Sneed and it's like how do you even know who Troy Sneed is <laughs> like white people don't know Troy Sneed like m- most black people don't even know who Troy Sneed is <laughs> so it's like he he's like what I I just appreciate that you once you, once you started this journey you really um, I can see how you have tried to engulf yourself in the culture to not um, 
to just embrace it, to just genuinely embrace Black culture. And that is what I love about you, Jerry. It's like the way that you embrace us as is, no question. And that you don't need Black people to give you a pat on their back for doing what's right. Like that you don't need awards for being an ally. And that to me is the dopest thing, man, that you don't go around expecting medals because you you are the, the white guy who got it right. Like that is so dope to me. Like, and I can go on and on and on, Jared, but I, I just appreciate you. I need you to know that I really appreciate you and I see you and I love you for all that you do for us. Getting me emotional over here too, man. Those <laughs> I mean, that is just the biggest compliment you could give me. So I really. Okay, we're gonna not be emo anymore. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, got allergies inside. <laughs> okay, so though we always, though we often talk about how. Um, it's not black folks' responsibility to teach white people how to treat us better um, or to teach allies how to be an ally. Just go figure it out yourself, right? Like we don't have time to be oppressed and also teach the oppressor how to not oppress us, right? And, yeah. I, and, to, and to an extent, I agree with that message. But I do want to know this, in, when it comes to relationship, right? Like when it comes to a person who has already decided to commit to the work of allyship, I want to know, what can Black people do to support you in this journey? What can we do to make sure your allyship is, is most effective? That is, that's a really tough question. Um, when I, I'm liking this to my, my walk of faith in, in being a Christian and growing in, in, uh, in my faith with, with Jesus. Um, we didn't, I mean, we kind of, we went to church when I was younger and then for a while we didn't go. Uh, we had our favorite chaplain over in Germany, the Air Force Church. And when he left, we left and we got here and we would go on, you know, Christmas Eve and Easter. And it wasn't until I was 18 that I decided that uh, I wanted to follow Jesus for real. Like we would pray every night before dinner and I could tell you the exact prayer. Thank you, Jesus and God for all the food. I love my family very much. I'm having a very good time and I hope everybody else is like, I, I can go through the whole thing talking about watch over the cat and the fish and grandpa Max and all these different things, you know, but it has meant so much more to me because I came to that myself. I wasn't forced to, to do anything in terms of, of how I went to church. I was the one waking up before my parents so I could go in and, and play guitar with the, the worship team at my old church before I came here. And I really feel like um, if I hadn't had received the opposition that I did, um, not the opposition, but um, the accountability and when I was trying to learn, I kind of wanted that that coddling and that that help hold my hand type thing. But where I am now, it, I feel like it's so much more organic and genuine and it's really in my spirit and it's not out of obligation or so I don't get canceled or so I don't get fired or so people on social media don't call me out. And it's like, this is because this is what I believe truly. And if I hadn't have had the pushback that I received from black people, um, I really feel like, where I wouldn't be where I am today. At the same time, um, I, I think that 
the fact, you know, I had black friends and stuff like that. And they, you know, I think, you know, you've seen me mature in this sense and other people have too. And the fact that, you know, you can't know my heart, but you know, you, you know me very well. And the fact that as I was growing, it wasn't like, Oh, like until you're an ally, we can't be friends, you know? And so, um, I really, honestly, I think if you really want to become an ally and you're serious about that and like, it's kind of the, what you got to go through. That's kind of the initiation process. And we've been, y'all have coddled us for so long. And it like, that is, I really don't think that because I feel like when there are people that aren't serious about it and are doing it to kind of check those boxes we was talking about, the fact is for the last 400 years, a lot of times when, when y'all make yourselves vulnerable to my people, that's when bad things happen. And we kind of count on, you know, I mean, Malcolm X was talking about um, there's going to be all these little symbolic victories through, through civil rights and stuff like that, where it's like, okay, we got people on cartoons right now. They're like, I shouldn't, I'm a white person. I shouldn't voice a black person. Or we're going to write Black Lives Matter on the street in front of the Capitol building. We're going to do this. It's like all these things just kind of placate you and appease you and kind of shut you up. Like it, it's self-preservation for y'all to, to be, um, you know, have that opposition to people like me, where it's like, I'm trying to learn, but I'm not really there yet. It, and I think until we really have my people that are, that are genuine and wanting to unlearn all the things that have been, that we've been indoctrinated with, that we've been taught, until that happens, which I don't know if it really ever will, I really think that y'all are doing exactly what you need to do in terms of white people becoming allies. The, the hand-holding, the coddling, the patient education type thing, that's on people like me. And that's on, it's on us. Y'all have, have exhibited over the last 400 years such a, such a deeper capacity for forgiveness and grace than we have ever been expected to and ever have been, we, we don't even, we can't even perceive and, and conceptualize the amount of forgiveness that y'all have had to extend. And it like, that needs to, to be done. And when we are expected to show a fraction of that, of that grace of that understanding, you know, then it's, oh man, we're under attack and, and the white man is oppressed and all this kind of, it's so hard to be a white dude in America today. And, and oh, you just got your scholarship because you're a black person. And uh, you took my son's spot at school because this and that. It's like, it, time's up, bro. Like it, all of this to say, I don't think that there is any extra responsibility or, or care that y'all should have to take in order to, to make the journey easier for white people. It shouldn't be easy. It's not supposed to be. Well, I asked, so Jared said, I ain't got to do nothing else, so I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, it's like, <laughs> Jesus, man. No, I, cause, cause, cause I, I personally, I tend to be, um, 
I tend to be more on the Malcolm X end than the Martin Luther King end, you know? So I know that as a Christian, I have space where I can show more grace and be a little bit more patient, right? So this is me saying, you know what? Let me do my part. Let me ask. Yeah. Y'all just heard Jared uh, tell me. <laughs> and, and you know, the more and more that I learn and in, in doing research, you know, going through the amount that I learned over the last couple of years about Juneteenth and people, oh, slavery's done, the 13th Amendment was passed, but I never learned until a couple of years ago that people in Texas didn't know for two years after, after slavery was abolished. And even then, you look at the 13th Amendment and it's like slavery wasn't abolished. It, they got a little more clever with it. And you look at the fact now, it's like we got uh, disproportionate amounts of, of, of black people in, in our prisons. And then we also got politicians that are like, ah, we don't want convicts to be able to vote. It's like, if you got so, if you got so many people in prisons that you feel giving them the ability to vote would sway elections, then um, why? <laughs> Start it's to like wonder, maybe we got a little too many people, especially black people in prisons. And you're worried about like, you are literally taking out so much of the voter base that's going to be against you. And the fact that they're working for, oh, sorry, you keep trying to talk. No, but no, it's, like, it's yeah. still slaves, like working for a couple cents a day. You want to read though, and it's like $2 a day, more than you can make in a day. So you got to save up for weeks so you can read books. And it's the same thing, uh, Pastor Farrakhan um, talking about, you know, it's like, you guys took away our ability to learn and our ability to worship and do all these things and then now come back and we have all this ground to make up. And as we're starting to climb that ladder, you feel us catching up and now you feel attacked. And now you feel like, you know, you're so worried about black people having the same amount of power as white people because you're so insecure about what we've done, my people have done through history that you think that black people are going to return the favor if they have the opportunity. And yeah, it's so all that to say, I, I rambling a lot. I got a lot of things that I want to get out. We only got an hour to talk about. You know <laughs> no, it's, it's all the things, Jerry. Um, but again, all these things when it comes to how systemic racism is put out in this country, it's hidden in plain sight. It's hidden in plain sight, right? Because slavery never went away. It just evolved. We know that. So, um, but I just let, let the record show. I asked how black people can support allyship. And he said, we have done enough. <laughs> so my last question for you, my last question for you, Jared, um, what would you tell white people who want to do more? They're starting to wake up. They're starting to see things a little bit differently, but they don't know where to start. They're afraid that if they say something, it'll be the wrong thing. If they don't say something, we would judge them for their silence. And they're just like, what can I do? Because if I do anything, it's just going to be wrong. What would you tell the person who literally has no idea where to start? Um, I think most of the people that don't have any idea where to start, the main reason for that is they're not surrounding themselves with enough black people. And even the ones that do, you know, it's like, they're kind of the ones like, oh, my, my black friend, let me says the N word type thing. And there's like, this is my, my token black friend, so I can say I'm not racist. But intentionally put yourself into situations and conversations where you might feel uncomfortable. Seek out the discomfort, because that's where you are going to grow. Because that discomfort is that cognitive dissonance. It's the things that you know in your head and your heart are not right but you've been taught and indoctrinated and given these talking points to regurgitate on how to justify these things. And, oh man, that black dude was killed, but oh man, you know, he was, he was a 
drug addict or, you know, he had he had robbed a store a couple weeks ago kind of thing. So, oh, it's fine. And oh, well, white people get killed, you know, so that the discomfort that um, that we feel as we unpack those things is necessary. Seek out the places where you feel like you kind of come under attack and really, really listen and don't listen so that you can rebuke what people are saying. Listen, because like y'all are the authority on being black and white people have have for so long projected and, and like you had been saying earlier, where it's like we've been deciding what equality means for so long. But it's like that's that's not how it should work. And so interject yourself into those situations where you feel uncomfortable intentionally seek them out. Listen to what black people have to say. If they're willing to talk about things, that's great. If they're not willing to talk about those things, don't get all defensive because I tried. Well, now I'm just going to go and, you know, keep doing this. Oh, my God, you're making this hard for me. It's like it should be. (laughs) And, you know, there's there's I mean, so many anti-racism resources that, you know, stuff on Netflix. There's books, white fragility, being white, you know, and and really, really expose yourself to this information because the the history that we've been taught, the um, is everything that we that we have been educated with throughout our lives has been through the lens of whiteness. You know, we're always the good guys. You look through history, Christopher Columbus sailed the sea. He's he's a good guy. You know, you look at at slavery and Lincoln was the good guy. And we didn't really talk about the, the slaves themselves. And and then you you keep looking through these things. And we are always a good guy, but um, it's actually, it's interesting. George R.R. R. Martin, the guy who wrote Game of Thrones, um, he talks about how um, the best villains are the ones that you can, you can relate with. And it's not like good versus evil, but it's like, you, and you look at some of the best villains in, let's talk about Hollywood, look at Star Wars, you know, it's like, they thought what they were doing, blowing up planets, the Death Star, all that, like Darth Vader, he's like, I'm the good guy. Like, this is right for me. So even though we might see that we're the good guy, you know, it's like, that's not the case from the other side of the table. So really, really be intentional in dismantling how good have we really been throughout history. And then realizing, too, that we shouldn't feel, you know, this, even though you're probably going to, it's like, y'all aren't asking us to, you know, feel this white guilt and be, oh, sorry, black people for slavery, this and that. It's like, however, we need to address the atrocities of our ancestors and the sins of our fathers. And we need to say now it is our responsibility to be more ethical in the world that we were brought up in. And it's our responsibility, not only to acknowledge those things, but to actively try and dismantle them alongside black people. Not like we're saying, don't be the Cape white person. Don't be the white savior. You know, it's like, that's not, that's not what y'all need. Because that, that's what got us in the situation in the first place. It was, oh, the white dude freed the slaves. Cool. Well, now it's still a white system. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's seek, if I can summarize all that, seek out the discomfort. When you start to feel cognitive dissonance and, and remorse for the beliefs that you've held in your life, that's when you know you're on the right track. Amen. Amen. Um. I think it's time for the offering. Um, We're going to pass the plate 
Because Jared, Jared has just preached us under the pews. Amen <laughs> and amen. I've been trying to call you Jared this whole time, but see, this is why y'all, this is why I call Jared Jerome, because he be talking like this. He be talking so good. And this is like, he gets it. He gets it. <laughs> All right. Um, this has been great. I'm just bubbling over because you and I, we can talk about this for hours upon hours upon hours upon hours. Um, and we have. And, and, and we have. <laughs> I, still, before, before, I still remember that. The conversation that we had at Bucket of Crawfish is still just like one of my most like cherished memories, like hands down. Like, uh, I love that you have that same memory because it was a pivotal moment for me too, Jared. So quick story, after church, we would typically go grab some food before choir rehearsal. And this particular Sunday, we went to Bucket of Crawfish, the one place in Utah where you can, where you can get like some good crab legs and, you know, the crab boil situation. And um, it was, I don't know what I was feeling on that day, but it was all of our, you know, praise team friends or choir friends. And we're all black. And, it's, and then Jared's the one white guy with us. And Jared was sitting beside me. And I was really struggling with this idea of trying to get white people to get it. I was getting frustrated with trying to educate white people. And I asked Jared his story, like, what was the turning point for him? And he told me the story of his professor at the U, breaking it down for him, who was another white person. And it clicked for me, like, oh, white people don't need us to educate them. They need to get it themselves. And they will have a moment in their life where they get it. And he gave me, he kind of gave me, he released me from that responsibility. I don't even know if you know that, but you released me from that. It was a weight lifted from that moment because up until then, I'm getting emotional. I had a couple of experiences in Utah where white people um, tried to shut me up. And it really is just so annoying how dismissive what white people can be so in that moment you just gave me freedom to not have to educate y'all i will no longer educate white people and that was because of you so thank you i didn't know that man that's man. okay way too emotional today take a lap real quick <laughs> All right. All right. All right. All right. So let's get on to these brownie points. Okay. Because we need something to break this up. All right, y'all. It's season two, uh, but brownie points have not gone anywhere. We're going to still um, lower ourselves. So you know what it is. Find something um, that you've done this week, today, recently that you're proud of. Um, it can be small. It can be big, whatever it is. Find it and um, go share with us on Instagram and Facebook. Find find me at Shades of Brown Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and share under the brownie points post what you're proud of yourself for, what you're giving yourself brownie points for. Jared, what are you giving yourself brownie points for today? Um, I got in 2018 up to my last semester, my last four classes where I needed to graduate. and because of, of uh, mental health reasons and financial reasons and all kinds of things, um, I like I'm just I'm going to take a semester off, and the semester turned into two semesters, and it turned into a year, and it's been over two years. I should have graduated back in 2017, y'all, um, and I've taken so much time off, and I um, just 
this last week. I registered for my last two classes. I need to graduate. I've filled out all of the all of the financial aid uh, stuff like that. So I am uh, finally at, at the end of this semester. I'm going to graduate and have my bachelor's degree, and I'm just so excited about that. Congratulations, Jared. That is so exciting. Oh my gosh. I'm proud of you. That's incredible. Thank you so much. I'm proud of myself too. It has been whew, these last two years. Listen, I'm not going to get into that, but um, I'm, I'm proud of myself too, to be honest. Like, I don't really feel like I give myself enough space to be proud of myself and to brag on myself. And I'm really like, I'm dope. I'm so good at life and like, yes, I'm, you just, are. I'm so happy about that. <laughs> yes, you are, Jared. Yes, you are. Tell yourself every day before you leave the house, I am dope. Tell yourself that, Jared. <laughs> and I really am. Y'all, if y'all don't know me, like, I'm sorry, but it's, <laughs> it's a privilege to know me, huh? <laughs> okay, I'm going <laughs> to. What about you? I want to. <laughs> I'm giving my I'm giving myself brownie points for um I'm giving myself brownie points for taking a social media break for for this past week. It was a much needed break. I took a step back and yeah, I'm proud of myself for doing that because sometimes it just feels like it's it's pulling me, it's pulling me, it's pulling me. I'm so addicted. I'm all the way in here. So yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I had a great week and I know it's because I took I was off of social media. So yeah, those are my those are my brownie points for the okay. day. And that's, that's so hard to do. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, this has been this has been great, Jared. It's been so great talking to you. Hopefully, the listeners um, have enjoyed it just as much as I have. Um, tell the people where they can find you, um, and if there's anything else you want to share about what you got going on, you can share that as well. Yeah. Um. So social media um i got you know on facebook i'm jared secrets that's see like the ocean and chris like christopher um people don't spell my name right ever so um jared secrets on facebook um twitter if you want an even more um politically volatile expression of myself you can go to my twitter too at j secrets um and then also my instagram is the same as my twitter at j secrets um and the band that i'm a part of we do um, stuff around the country. So if you have friends that are getting married, need corporate events, um, need entertainment for that kind of stuff, uh, we are the Lane Changers Band um, at the Lane Changers Band on Instagram. And um, we, you know, obviously COVID has really affected um, our, our business for this year. And, um, you know, but we, I mean, we're ready to go. We've been rehearsing every single week still. And, um, yeah, so you can go in and you can see videos and stuff like that. It's like, and we're the real deal, man. It's not like, oh, it's a wedding band. Like, listen, man, we. <laughs> they but, are. Uh, yeah. They are. They are the best band in Utah. Like, hands down, lane changers, changing lanes. Any band that carry Drizdom is over. They're the best in Utah. Period. Amazing. Point blank. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much, Jared. Uh, we'll be keeping it such. Thanks again. I just had a great time being on here and thank you so much. And I just, I love what you're doing and how you're presenting yourself with this podcast. It is amazing. And it just fills me up whenever I listen to it. So I'm so honored to be a part of it. Oh, thank you, Jared. Y'all, I was not trying to be on this episode all emo and stuff. That was not the plan. Thank you, Jared. Anyways, 
Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Um, maybe you were encouraged to become an ally. Maybe you were um, encouraged to continue being an ally. Or maybe you were just encouraged to support the allies in your corner. Um, or to sniff out the ones who are not allies but pretend to be. <laughs> uh, either way, I hope you will um, go over to Instagram and Facebook and follow me. You can find me at Shades of Brown Podcast on both platforms. Also, please um, share, like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. And Black folks, please remember, you are enough. Your creation is so divine. And I love me some you. So until the next episode, be healthy, be whole, be healed. <laughs>